Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. That's on, that's right, on your uh, Archery Talk Facebook? Yeah, yeah. Okay. we're going to go going to live on Archery Talk 101 Facebook group. Hi, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm your host today on Archery Talk 101, and we have a guest with us, uh, John. Uh, welcome to the show. Roy, thank you very much. Honored to be here. Well, uh, how about if you introduce yourself and tell a little, something a little about yourself? John Stanley, I'm from Lawrenceville, Georgia. I was actually born in Texas and um, uh, retired Air Force, retired Department of Defense, 38 years, been retired a couple of years. So I'm catching up on all my, uh, my hunting um, uh, bucket list. Uh, got two boys that are big into hunting in 28 and 25 and been married for uh, 31 years and archery since I was probably six or seven years old is probably been as far as pastime has been my biggest passion. Yeah, so what, what got you started in archery? You know, it's kind of funny as I look back, uh, I feel very blessed to have had this happen to me uh, considering how what a big deal archery is in my life and bow hunting is in my life how much time I spend doing it uh it was kind of crazy how it all happened my dad was a big hunter and when I was young I followed him around in, in the woods and he was from Texas and then lived in Mississippi and was always big into hunting and deer hunting but he was not a bow hunter uh never knew anything about bow hunting in fact I didn't even know hardly any bow hunters and so Probably when I was seven years old, which is 1967, my sister, uh, they had archery in her high school and they, apparently they were getting, I can't remember the details, apparently they were getting new bows for their class and her coach gave her, liked her, gave her uh, this little probably 30 pound fiberglass recurve bow, gave it to her to bring home and she brought it home and I kind of found it laying around. She never shot it. And I picked that thing up, didn't even have an arrow. She just brought the, the bow home. And we were from a, a, a lower uh, blue collar family, didn't have a lot of money. I remember telling my dad, hey, I've got this bow that my sister doesn't use. I need some arrows. And I think we went to uh, a sporting goods store and I remember he bought me one arrow. So I had a cedar uh, arrow and I shot that thing, uh, I don't know how many times that first summer. And when I lost it, because I had one error, I had to go find it. So uh, there would be times where I couldn't shoot because I was digging up under the leaves to um, find this error. But that's kind of what started my, my passion in archery. And then I moved up from there. My dad got me a used recurve bow. I don't even remember uh, what kind it was, what brand it was. It was way too heavy for me because he didn't know anything about archery either. He did get me some arrows at that point, and I used to go uh, bow hunting, hunting with him, and he would take me down there, and he didn't bow hunt, so he would put me up in the stand, and I remember the first several years when I was eight, nine, ten, goodness gracious, I missed so many deer with that bow, but I just, I mean, it just got in my blood, and finally, uh, he bought me a, a Shakespeare and a Seda, 
recurve bow when I was 11 years old. And I had some bare uh, cedar arrows and some bare razor heads and a little quickie quiver with no cover on it. Because I remember when I finally killed my first deer, I sent a picture of my deer into Bowhunter Magazine. And at the time, Fred Bear was the editor of the magazine. I remember I still have the little note framed. It's one of my proudest memories. Uh, but he mentioned, uh, congratulations on the deer and keep those broadheads covered, buddy, because I didn't even have a cover on it. I had four bare razor heads that were just kind of sticking out there. So when I was 11 years old, my dad put me up in the stand and he was scouting for opening day of the uh, gun season. Just kind of stuck me up there in the middle of the day. Didn't think it was the last day of, it was Halloween day, the last day of the archery season in 1971 in Georgia. And as it so happens, a big doe came by and uh, I guess the Lord was with me because I didn't miss her. I shot her right through the lungs at 32 yards. And my dad was kind of, I had a this little police whistle that uh, I kept with me and he said, gave me uh, instructions not to ever blow that thing unless I really needed it. It was an emergency and I fell or whatever. Well, I got that whistle out and blew and blew and blew for a long time before cell phones. And here he comes running down through the woods thinking that some wild dogs had gotten me or I'd fall out of the tree or something. <laughs> and I told him that uh, I had shot this deer. And he looked at me a, uh, a bit dubious until we walked up there and, and there was blood and we fought it probably 60 yards. I, I mean, I, it was mostly luck, but I smoked this doe right through the lungs and there she was. And so that really um, uh, got me fired up and into um, archery and the bow hunting. And I remember we called the sports editor of the local college park neighbor and he came out that night because it was a big deal back then. There weren't many bow hunters and for anybody to kill a deer with a bow and in 1971, he came out, took pictures and it was in the, the paper the next Saturday, even though none of my neighbors knew that uh, it had happened because I got up early that morning, went around, stole all the newspapers out of their <laughs> driveways just so I could have plenty, plenty of copies of it. But that was uh, kind of the start to my passion of bow hunting. Yeah, that quite a start, you know, it's, you start off with what you can do and, and just keep going, you know, yeah, the, the way bows are now, you know, it's, it's tough to get into archery without spending a lot of money. And it's nice that, you know, you, you can still do that. You know, nowadays you can still even do that, you know, get a bow and, and get a string and start off with whatever arrows you can afford. And, you know, I started a little bit before you did, not much, you know, I started in the, the, the mid 60s um, with fiberglass recurve and wooden arrows because the choice was wooden arrows or wooden arrows or fiberglass yeah. or uh, wood. That was yeah. it. That's it it. Wasn't, until, wasn't until the 70s when the first compounds come out. So yeah, we were all starting off with, with that. And you know, it's, it's amazing where archery has gone, but yet it's still, you know, the recurve and the longbow are, are still real popular bows to shoot. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people are kind of going back to them, too. I guess they look at all the the uh, innovations in archery and high tech and electronic sites and all that. And I think uh, I was reading that uh, traditional archery is kind of there's a new boom in, in, in that. And with uh, longbows as well, people are kind of wanting to go back uh, uh, natural. And I mean, I've always shot one kind of. But once I got started in uh 
compounds, I've really never looked back. But it's still fun to pull out the recurve and and shoot. There's just uh, I don't know. It's just it's like throwing a baseball. You kind of never forget, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, my recurve set up for bow fishing because when I go out bow fishing, if I have my compound, I, I can't I can't shoot quick enough. You know, because you go right, through right. my my mental attitude is different. I draw back, anchor point, kiss your button, peep, nose, you know, sights. Uh, you ain't got time for a fish. You know, where the recurve, I just look at the, the fish and draw back and shoot. And you know, sometimes I I hit them, sometimes I don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, That's so actually a fun. big advantage in uh, big game hunting with one too is that you could get a shot off much quicker. And those guys that are really good at that, I mean, they're they're just amazing hunters because they just kind of, you know, it's, it's come so natural to them and they can shoot so quickly and they can kind of sometimes get shots that maybe a compound shooter who's trying to shoot with back tension or whatever, we need a bit more time with that. But those guys usually are really good hunters, the ones who still shoot recurves and longbows. They kill a lot of game. Yeah, it just takes a lot more practice. You have to spend more time shooting. Uh, which is kind of the fun part, shooting, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a different game and different mental attitude. And you pick up whichever whichever weapon you have, you shoot it the way that weapons designed to be shot. That's right. That's right. <laughs> plain, plain and simple. <laughs> Anything to get you in what I call the God's great outdoors. You know, it's just a good thing. I'm very uh, thrilled that my sons are are really into it. It's been it, it's it's a great time as I get older. If you're in other sports, uh, you maybe can't do, but you can you know you can bow hunt for a long time, and that's something that we have in common that I'll always have with my sons that we can go out uh, bow hunting together. And you know it, it's just uh, I don't know. It's I don't I think it's the greatest sport in the world. Well, and then we get to where you, we can't pull back the you know the compounds or the recurves. There's always crossbow. You know, it's, you're, it's still archery. It's just, you know, whatever weapon you need to stay in the field, like you said. Now that, that's where we go. That's right, yeah. And our, I'm in an archery-only club, hunting club, and there's some of the guys that have gone to crossbows. Some of them started out with a shoulder injury or whatever, and then some other ones have just gotten, you know, older and they really can't pull um, and hold a compound like they used to. They've gone to crossbows and, you know, I've never shot a crossbow in my life. Maybe one day I will have to, but I don't have anything against them. Again, it gets you in the outdoors and, and out having a, a good time in nature. So I'm all for it. Yeah, there, it's a good way to transition from, you know, a, a rifle hunter into archery, you know, because they pick up the crossbow and you fire it like you do your rifle. And then get into there and then move down it gets you into the field like like you said it's like whatever it takes to get you in there um, you know i prefer the compound for hunting I, I don't have to spend as much time practicing right um as i do with the the recurve or, or longbow um but you know it's it's one of those things that you know that's what i prefer to shoot and somebody else may not prefer to shoot them I don't have a new bow. My my newest bow that I hunt with, well, my hunting bow is a 2001 PSE. And then the one I use for targets, a 2000, uh, I think two or 2003 uh, PSE. And then I got a chance to get one for a really good price when I worked uh, a bear. Um, it's in the snow camel. 
uh, when I worked at Cabela's, you know, they, they had some returns that were basically defective, but they weren't a problem I couldn't fix being a boat tech. And, uh, you know, make a new string for it and fix a couple of stripped out screws and away <laughs> you go. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's fixed, ready to go. But uh, that's that's probably, oh, that's probably five years old now anyway. I don't yeah, shoot it because I never finished setting it up. <laughs> I never finished setting it up. So it just it just sits here as an extra bow. Yeah, the technology and the newer bows, even the last 10 years is amazing how, how much they've changed and how lighter they've gotten and how faster they are. I get a new, I've been on the uh, Bear Pro staff for about 15 years. So I get a new Bear flagship bow every year. And I usually, I hand the other ones down to my son. So we all shoot bears and, uh, and I give the rest of them away just to get uh, people into archery. But, but yeah, the new, and even from, you know, a five-year-old bow to me is not, is not old. It's well-made and a great shooting bow, but they do change a little bit every year that I'm shooting bear execute 32, the one I've got this year. And it is the best shooting bow I've ever shot in my life. So they change them a little bit and, and just, uh, they just get better and better every year. Not so much speed wise because they're up towards, I think the top, I mean, they make it a little faster, but, uh, the, they get quieter, uh, smoother, uh, a better wall. You know, there's always a little something that they can change and tweak. But yeah, it's it's a pleasure to shoot a good quality compound bow today. Yeah, I know some of the difference between the older ones, you know, the limbs are real long and, and stood up. So as you drew back, you have a lot of forward motion in them, you know, a lot of vibration in there. And right. if you don't, if you don't have a sling on it, you drop them. Um, yeah. You know, where the newer ones are the more parallel, you don't have that forward motion, that vibration, you know, they kind of dampen that out. So, you know, some of the new ones, I, I wouldn't, but you could probably shoot them without a sling and it with an open hand because they just don't jump forward like the older ones. Right. Right. The funny story with talking about older bows and, and speed. And I was telling uh, a guy this story the other day and I'm, he kind of looked at me. I'm not sure he really believed me, but back I got into outdoor competition, 3D shoots back in the 80s, and bows were not very fast back then. I shot a lot of, of uh, competition, and we were all about making our bows faster. I shot limited division, which is fingers and, and sights, and anything that we could do back then. There was, there was a lot of competition, really good shooters even back then, so anything we could do to make our bows faster we would do so we got uh special order limbs but i remember for several years and this is where the guy kind of looked at me like i was crazy but i shot i was shooting for martin back then i shot a 94 pound martin i ordered some heavy limbs for it shot 94 pounds with fingers now with and then to make it even faster i shot an overdraw we would shoot 24 13 shafts cut them off I don't remember the length of them, but shoot an overdraw with fingers with 94 pounds. And even then, we were shooting, I can't recall, considerably less than, than uh, 300 feet per second. But uh, it was, uh, but now all today's bows, you don't see many people shooting more than, you know, 70 pounds uh, because they're just so fast and so efficient. You don't have to, to tinker to get the speed. I mean, some people do, and I'm all for speed. 
but they've just changed so much. You don't have to do what we did back in those crazy days. I had a buddy of mine I shot tournaments with that shot 104 pounds, uh, and he wasn't even shooting 300 feet per second. But, you know, that's just what we did back then and tinkering, getting speed. But it was a lot of fun. I don't shoot the tournaments anymore, but got some good memories from those days. Yeah, I know that the bows nowadays, I don't know how fast some of them are getting, but my 2001 PSE Carrera is rated at 320 feet per second. That's a 2001 bow. Yeah, that's, yeah, you're <laughs> right. Even in today, even for 2023 bow, that's, that's very fast. Very yeah, fast. It ain't shooting that speed, nowhere near it. You right, know, right. I, I might be right. like 280, 290, somewhere around yeah. in there. It's been a while since I chronoed it. But I shoot uh, a fairly light arrow. My hunting arrow is a bit heavier than my target one. My target one's about 370 grains and 70 pounds. Uh, but I have string dampeners on it to, you know, knock down all the noise. You know, right. I have other dampeners on it. I have, uh, you know, a loop on it. I have a, a kisser button. I have a peep in it. You know, all that all slows it down. And, you know, I take my string and I put one of the string leeches in the top and the bottom of the string, you know, I kind of pluck it, you know, you get that high pitch gone out of there. And I, even on my, my control cable, I'll pluck it and I'll put one in there. You can hear a difference between when it doesn't have it, when it does have it. And, and then on the cables, I put them all, which slows it all down, but it's quieter. And, you know, I could possibly get a second shot, you know, if I needed to with the, uh, uh, you know, a little bit quieter bow. I don't care about the speed as much as I do, you know, being cutting the vibration down and, you know, having a little quieter bow. And I, I've had, I had a time when I've told this story on a couple of times here before, but uh, I was a, a drawing on a deer coming from my right and behind me. And I shot that one, watched it run. I turned around, drew back on another bow, another deer that was off to my left, 20 yards away the other direction and shot it, you know, the bow going off didn't hurt it. it. It didn't care. Well, oh, yeah. Well, if you'll think about it, Roy, uh, having a quiet bow is a lot more important than having what we consider a fast bow because the speed of sound is 1,100 feet per second. And if you have a 300, uh, a bow that shoots 300 feet per second, the deer's going to hear the arrow or going to hear the noise from your bow or whatever before the arrow gets there so still i think that the quieter you make one it may sound like the noise or the uh danger is a little further away versus a um, bow that makes more noise so they'll react maybe a little bit quicker that's what your hope is but they're going to hear the bow just from the speed of sound they're going to hear it before the arrow gets there anyway. It's just how much reaction time do they have and how loud is the noise and how much they react to it. So you're never going to have a bow fast enough where they're not going to hear something. Right. And and just, you know, those of us that have heard a bow get dry fired versus <laughs> going off regular, you know, every time you hear a bow dry fire, you, you just, your stomach just kind of turns. That just sound is just there. And, and that's kind of the difference between, you know, your your noisier bows, your quieter bows. And one of the things that we have is as the bow gets faster, it's going to get louder. You know, you slow it down, it's it's going to be a little bit quieter. And right, um, right. You know, like I said, it's it's more about, you know, being stealthy instead of being quick. 
And, and the thing I've noticed a lot of these bows are getting shorter and shorter, which makes them harder and harder to control. Uh, and they get faster, which magnifies your mistakes. Uh, so right. if you don't have if you don't have good form, don't get a fast bow because <laughs> you're not going to like the results of it shooting. And, and don't get a short bow either. Back when I shot fingers, um, it was really even ultra important for getting a longer bow. A lot of the bows I shot were 39, 40, 41, 42. I remember a 43 inch uh, axle to axle bow. But they with fingers, I kind of had to because of a string pinch. And right. yeah, they were more they were more forgiving back then. And I shot fingers for 40 something years. I've only been shooting a release for the last 10 years or so. And now I can shoot those shorter bows. And it really, I mean, I could have gotten that execute comes in a 32 and a 30 inch. I chose the 32 because that's just kind of got a little bit of old school still in me. I'm going to go with the longer uh, ATA if I can, because I know it's just a little bit more forgiving and, you know, two inches. Yeah, that could be an advantage being a little bit shorter, maybe in, in a tree stand, but that's not a lot of difference. But, uh, yeah, I like a little bit longer bows and I don't have a problem shooting a little bit slower bow. If it's quieter and more forgiving to me, that's a lot more important. Yeah, I know I had to go to release when I, I got a, a bow and I think it was either 34 or 36, you know, and at my draw length, I draw back and my ring finger go numb after shooting for a while because mm -hmm. it just pinched it so hard. So I had to go to release because, you know, I, I don't want to have my finger go numb on me because then you can't tell what it's doing. And right, so I went right. to a release and I went through several before I finally got, you know, a good one. Um, you know, my first real good uh, wrist strap release was a Scott that I bought yeah. up uh, a, a guy I knew that was used then. I still have it. And that's back in the nineties. Um, I carry it with me whenever I go hunting, it's with me. I use a, a handheld um, Carter, the chocolate addiction. That's what I hunt with. Uh, cause it's nice. Cause it'll actually lock onto the loop. And I don't yeah, have to yeah. hold it there. I, like that. I can just find the string, go down, find it. I don't have to look at it to hook up to it. You know, it's, you got the caliper types, the jaws that have to close on it. And now you got to look down to try and find it. Um, where my release, that wrist strap one, has just a hook. So I can go down, I can find a loop, and I can hook it on because I can feel where it's at. I don't have to look at it. So I don't like to look down at my my bow in order to hook up my release. You know, Especially when you're trying to movement. get a second shot. Yeah. 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 Or even a first one when you're not at full draw, you know? Right, right. You know, you got to be quiet and still and, you know, slowly bring it up and and, and slowly draw. And, you know, that's what I'm telling you, know, a lot of the new archers, you know, some of them want to shoot, start off shooting 70 pounds and they're struggling to pull it back, you know, doing everything you can. Or you see something trying to pull across your chest and move up. Well, you're using your weak muscles. I, I tell this, like, it needs to be set so that you can slowly draw back like a deer is watching you back to your anchor point. If you can't do that, you're shooting too much weight. That's right. And, exactly. You know, because what happens when they come out? And and they're there, and if you have to do all this movement and struggling and to get it back, uh, you know they're going to catch you. Yeah. So you're not going to yeah. get your shot. And and there's times when you get out there and they just pop out on you so quick that you just didn't see them or didn't have time to get ready. You know, all of a sudden you see them and their nose is sticking out, and you know things like that happen. And how are you going to get your shot off if you have all this motion you go through? I got a story about that where high poundage cost me a nice mule deer back in the, in the um, 
probably late 80s, early 90s, I can't even recall. And I was out in Gila National Forest in New Mexico elk hunting. And that's back when I was shooting a lot of competition. And the poundage I shot was kind of crazy for even back then. But because I shot tournaments at 94 pounds, that's what I was used to. So I took that Martin at 94 out there. And I was slipping along a ridge looking for an elk. And I peeked out and I saw a mule deer bedded down, a really nice buck. I was behind a little uh, cedar tree. And I thought the deer was fake. I didn't even look at it through my binoculars. I should have, but I just saw the rack. thought the deer was facing away from me. And I was pretty close. I thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. I'm going to step out, get the right angle, and shoot him in his bed. Well, I, st I stepped out, and he was actually facing me, not facing away from me. Saw me, of course, and stood up. And as he was standing, I came to full draw thinking he was going to turn and maybe stop and uh, before he ran off and give me a good shot. Well, he stopped in his bed looking at me, and I couldn't shoot him, didn't, didn't want to shoot him straight on, and there was a little limb there. So I'm at full draw with 94 pounds, and I, honestly, I didn't realize how that I couldn't hold it very long because in the tournament, I didn't have to. That's my first right. hunting situation, and I'm sitting there, and I'm struggling to keep that thing back, and I'm really shaking. And he finally puts his head down, but I couldn't hold anymore. And I let down. And then he turned. I guess he figured that I was not a threat. He turned and walked off about 10 yards out from behind the brush he was in and kind of quartered away and started feeding. And Roy, I couldn't get the bow back. I was so, my muscles were so spent and I was so torn up with adrenaline. And I don't know how long I've been holding the thing, but I tried two or three times. I could not get the bow back. I felt like, a real idiot with that good mule deer out there. And he finally just fed off. And by the time I recovered enough to get my uh, strength back where I could draw the bow, he was he was out of range. So I went home and went back to a, a, a more logical, let's say, hunting weight at the time. But yeah, that high pound has definitely cost me a nice mule deer. Yeah. And, you know, I had something similar happen to me. I was, you know, I shoot 70 pounds. And I, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of shooting over the summertime, wintertime comes up, archery season starts. And I pretty much, I quit practicing. You know, I wasn't doing a lot of shooting anymore. And one morning <laughs> I got up my tree stand and it's, it's kind of cold out because, you know, here in Nebraska, we have some fairly cold days in, in hunting season and, uh, it was cold, so I climbed up my tree stand. I always like to draw my bow back when I get up in there. Just right, I, I just always draw it back, you know, whether it's still in the dark or in the afternoon, I'll draw it back and everything. I tried drawing that bow back, and I couldn't get it back. I'm trying, and I'm struggling, just like you said, and I'm pulling and pulling and pulling. I just can't get it drawn back for nothing. And I hadn't been holding it. This is the first time I drew it back in the morning, and. So I says, well, either I go home or sit here and wait. Maybe I can recover. And, you know, I was straining everything I could. And a little bit later, it kind of warmed up, loosened up. I was yeah. going to draw it back. But I, I hurt for like a week. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was straining to get that bow back. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, I think that's why some people, they'll, they'll shoot like 70 pounds throughout the summer and then crank it down to 60 for hunting season. You know, because you're getting weaker, you're colder. And um, I just don't like to change my pins <laughs> well so i do have more than one bow so i could shoot the one to 70 have my hunting bow set at 60 but you know they're they're different bows so they shoot a little differently but yeah 
Yeah, the cold weather definitely makes a difference when you're trying to right. draw a bow. If your muscles are, are tight or you're not warmed up first thing in the morning and it's cold, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because I'll draw my bow when I get up in the tree, too, to make sure everything's okay. There's a, yeah, there's a difference on those cold mornings. Uh, in fact, if I think about it, and it'll kind of warm you up to get your blood flowing on those cold mornings, I'll draw you know, every hour or so when nothing's around, I'll draw my bow just to keep warmed up. But, but yeah, you can actually, you can actually get in a, in a pickle with that heavy weight and cold for sure. Yeah. Cause you know, September is normally pretty warm around here. It's, 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 it can be, you know, in the fifties, sixties, seventies, or even eighties in, in September. But by the time you get in October, November, December, we can have days that are um, you know, it's not unusual for us to have days in the single digits. Mm. You know, so I don't like to go out on those days because it's just too cold. <laughs> and, and and the problem running into as well is is as it gets colder, I think your limbs get stiffer. Right. I think, yeah. I think I think yeah. the cold stiffens them up a little bit, where the heat will soften them up a little bit. But you know, speaking of heat, that's one thing you never want to do is leave your bow in your car. You know, and the trunk would be all right, but inside the car, because you know it can get to be pretty, pretty warm. And I've, I've heard stories of people's bows, you know, their limbs start delaminating because it just got so hot in the car. Oh yeah, yeah, especially in the trunk. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely people who don't know any better. I've heard a few stories of them, uh, uh, a new archer getting a bow and going in somewhere where they didn't want their bow string sticking in in their trunk and. It's uh, super hot and coming back, and their bow has actually blown up. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's something you got to watch out for. Yeah, the, the trunk's not as bad as inside the, the car because, you know, it gets so much hotter, but still, a trunk is not a, a good place to keep it long term. It, right, uh, just, right. It just, yeah, and some of the new cars, trunks aren't big enough to put a bow in it. <laughs> you know, I got a little Toyota, and, and I don't think I could get my bow case in the back of mine. Yeah, which might be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, if I go somewhere, it's like, okay, I can't leave it in because I'm not going to leave it in the car. Anybody can see it because it brushed the windows and, and come in and steal yeah. it, you know. So, Nowadays, that's true. Yeah. So, you know, back when I was in high school, it was not unusual to, you know, go to high school and somebody's got a pickup truck and there's a rifle or shotgun sitting in the back window. Nobody bothered it. Oh, yeah. I never did because I, I didn't want to take a chance. Yeah, I had a gun rack in my truck. Most of my buddies did, and we would keep rifles in them. I go to school, and uh, actually, I was on the rifle team. I did ROTC uh, in high school for three years and was on the rifle team. We had a range downstairs and would shoot uh, uh, 22, you know, bull rifle, target rifles down there. And I remember I tell this story thinking about how schools are now and what a big deal guns are now. Uh, but there was something wrong and I took it down. Our shop teacher was real good and he knew how to work on guns or something wrong. I didn't recall what it was. So my instructor asked me to take it down to Coach Cunningham. So I had a 22 bolt action bull rifle walking down the hall in high school right by, you know, every, nobody really looked at me. I took it down to Coach Cunningham and he fixed it. And I walked right back and couldn't imagine doing that today. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody freak out. I, oh, like, yeah. like you, I was in ROTC yeah. on on a rifle team as as well for three years in high school and yeah, uh, two different schools because the middle of the year the after the first year they would build a new high school so I moved to the new one and 
they had a range down there and um i you probably did the same thing we'd set up empty 22 shells and shoot them for fun <laughs> oh yeah we would take uh even we did this in competition till our our uh commander got wind of it and got a little mad made us stop it because we were really good we won the national championship my junior year but after we would in the prone position after we would shoot our last shot you know, you hung the uh, the targets up with a paper clip on right. the little cloth thing, and we would take one extra bullet down there, and all kind of about the same time, uh, we would shoot the paper clip and let the target fall down. But those things were that <laughs> accurate that you you could oh, do yeah. that, and then we got in trouble for it, so we had to stop hot dogging. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. Uh, for those that don't know, our targets was the t as a ten ringers actually ten rings and. Yep. The Nine ring was the diameter of the 22 with a little dot in the center. Yeah. Uh, so you take the head, the head of a straight pin, and that's your tent. You have to hit that at, you know, 50 feet in order to uh, um, get your 10 points. And so that that's kind of being real accurate. And, uh, yeah, that, you could do that in, in the prone position. Though. Those things were yeah. amazingly accurate. Yeah. 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 I, I I tried for that perfect 100 and I don't I'd get 98 99 I'd seem to throw one out you know that was tough yeah I got 100 a few times and I shot uh, 90 something and kneeling which I was probably even more proud of but yeah we had a really good team I don't know I guess they still do that today in ROTC I don't know yeah I think they've went to air rifles okay uh, you know. You know, everything's all, all paranoid. You know, everybody uh, thinks no, it's no. a bad thing. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I've heard stories, you know, like guys, my grandpa's age, they would walk to school with their gun that stick in the back of the classroom on the way home, they go hunt. Yeah. yeah. It was not unusual, not unusual for the kids to just, you know, bring a gun, set it in the back and, you know, they'd have a little gun rack back there or something. And they just carry them to school and carry home. But, you know, a lot of those are all farmers too. And, you know, Farmers yeah. grow up with guns because it's it's just there. I think all these city kids are missing out on a lot of uh, um, a lot of adventures going out and you know shooting shooting your guns, shooting your bows, you know taking your slingshots out, you know whatever. Yeah. It's just a lot of that eye hand coordination is is lacking in in some of these uh, you know kids nowadays. It, it's all all thumb action, <laughs> you know, yeah. playing the video games. And with all those kids doing that, Roy, how many school shootings did you hear of back then? Um, I don't remember ever hearing one. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the point. None. Yeah. yeah. Even through college, I don't remember ever hearing of anything like that. No, um, no, not at all. You know, you had uh, guns were everywhere. And yeah, so it's not the gun. I think no. people like us know that. Yeah. Yeah, we all know that. And. I think all of our listeners know that as well, because sure. you're probably yeah. not going to listen to an archery podcast if you're anti-hunting, anti-guns, anti-whatever. You know, that's why, you know, this is not a politically correct podcast. You know, we talk about killing animals and blood trailing and, sure. you know, whatever we want to talk about. Um, you know, my idea is if you don't like what we're talking about, there's always another podcast you can listen to. <laughs> that's right that's right there's you lots know. of podcasts today you're right yeah there, there's lots of them and, and if you're watching the video you know now in the archer talk 101 facebook group they're all archers so yeah no problem there and even on my youtube channel you know i, I have a youtube channel 
I called it learn to fix it yourself because I have all kinds of stuff in there, not just the podcast I put out there, but right. as I'm working on stuff, you know, you know, gardening stuff, um, you know, I might be doing something on freeze drying. I might be making a project. I might be welding something, you know, you're out there to learn something. And, and that's of all kind trade. of what, yeah. yeah, that's what, you know, this is about is learning, you know, that's, you know, we do talk to guys like you, they've been doing this for a while, but there's always something that I learned from talking to you. And, you know, my goal is, you know, listeners or the people watching them, they're learning something as well. And, and it's, it's, I just like talking to archers, you know, it's one of those things I can talk to archers all day long, you know, you know, no, I've been doing, I mean. I've been doing it since the sixties. So, you know, I started out, you know, when, you know, there wasn't, wasn't even combat. I remember my first compound bow I shot was a bear whitetail. Yeah. I guess the whitetail too. Uh, my brother bought it and you know i shot it for a while and you know it was okay i think it's probably been too long to draw me because you know smack your arm once in a while and <laughs> i learned now that if you smack your arm either you're holding it really wrong got that twist wrist twisted way out or the drawing's too long so you should never hit your arm I, yeah I my, yeah my first compound bow i bought i went to the store and she said you know here here's one draw so i drew it back says how's that feel okay i didn't know what i was doing you know that's what they're supposed to do is know what's going right, on right and they didn't know either no it was a 32 <laughs> inch draw length bow it was 32 yeah. inches so i'm out here i'm drawing clear back here you know stretched way out and i uh i found out later in 95 when i you know took an archery instruction course at nfa uh of course and you know shooting back tension is also yeah. you know training to become an instructor and uh, they said, well, you're actually 29 and a half. This is on a Friday. Your bow needs to be set at 29 and a half by Saturday night, or there's no reason for you to continue the training. So I'm scrambling on Saturday, you know, finding shorter strings and just everything. I got it down to my 29 and a half uh, so I could continue with the training. And it's amazing how many people learn how to do that, went back right there doing. Yeah, yeah. And it's a lot more difficult on those bows back then. Today's bows, pretty easy to change the draw length on most of them, unless you have to change the module. But yeah, they've come yeah. a long way. There, there, there was there was no modules to change. You know it's, it's, <laughs> exactly. You know, like a lot of new ones now, you just rotate the module what draw length you want. Yeah. And you know, some of the older ones, like when I had my store, you just replace a module. Well, that old bow didn't even have modules. It was. You know, you could shorten up a little bit, but you got to get a shorter string if you want to shorten draw length. So I'm finding the right string, and that's before I know how to make them, of course. Other than I just made a new one, but uh, um, yeah, then now I shoot 29, I, a little bit shorter. It's 29 draw length. I shoot 29 because that puts a little more bend in the arm, mm -hmm. and and now when I shoot, I can extend that arm straight to my target. You know, many years of martial arts training as well as you know archery training, I kind of merged them. I want that hand to point so my index finger points directly to the target. You know, if it goes right. off to the side, you can't consistently do that. And I shoot 29 because now then I can wear my big heavy coat in wintertime and I don't hit it. I don't wear an arm guard because yeah. yeah. I'm just a half inch makes it just enough that I don't hit that because I've hit my yeah. arm before, you know, with a jacket on there. And, you know, I still got the deer, but it was not a, a good shot. Yeah, it's <laughs> there. There's so many, th so many things, so many stories, and 
it, it's just all, you know, it's all stuff you learn. And, you know, being, being a, a, when a, a Botech, when I went, got my store in 2001, I went down to PSC and spent a week down there at their factory learning how to work on bows and, you know, they had us tearing them all down. So there's no two parts together and building them back up and then tearing them down and building them back up. And the different bows, the different ones work differently. And, you know, what I learned over the years is before I tear one apart that I haven't worked on before, I take pictures of the camera, <laughs> you know, yeah. on my phone. Yeah. I'll take pictures of how are things all set up with my phone because I can look back at it and say, ah, oh, that's where it went. Because some of them have exactly. some weird way that, that the strings wrap around the cams and, you know, yeah. just not the normal way. You're the kind of guy I'd like to have on a backcountry bow hunt because there's always something that can potentially go wrong. And then, you know, you need somebody that knows what they're doing back there because, like, uh, you know, it's just archery and bow hunting is all about Murphy's Law. If something's going to go wrong, it seems. It right. will. So you got to be able to improvise. And I used, I've been on a few destination hunts and I carried a, a spare bow with me. But fortunately, I've never had to use one. But you know, it's, I don't know, you can borrow somebody's rifle, but you really can't do that so much with a bow. So being able to uh, uh, know how to fix a bow and improvise, you know, uh, it's something you need to know. The more you know your bow and archery, the more confident you're going to be and the better off you're going to be if something ever goes wrong and you're out on a hunt. So, yeah, that's great yeah. that, you know, to tear one down like that, put it all back together. No, nah, I couldn't do that. That's another level. That's great, though. Yeah, I've done it many times. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're always working on something, and you know, some sometimes people come with bows that's got a, a, something wrong with them, and and lots of times it's like I'm glad they're not watching me because what I'm doing, I don't want them to see what I'm doing because you know I might a screw might be stripped out. Well, I'm taking a drill and a drill bit, and I'm screwing this, you know, drilling the screw out. Yeah, you, you know, and that can be really easily. It's like, what are you doing in my bow? Fixing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I remember one time a, a kid come in, he'd went to one of their shops and it bow was a little bit too heavy for him. And he cranked the limbs out too far. And, yeah. and, and so went to their shop, they put it back there, tell him, do not crank it down any further. So he brought it into me. And I was like, okay, at that time, that was, you know, 20 years ago. Um, you know, it's 20 bucks just to put a bow in a press, no matter what I yeah. do, it's at least 20 bucks. I don't put it in a press for less than that. It's just not worth my time. And the limb had actually slid out of the pocket slightly. So it was, it was twisted. So it wasn't even really in the pocket. Mm. It, it was above it and it twisted slightly. And so that I'm putting it in a press and they're standing. I says, you might want to stand back a little bit if this thing blows up. <laughs> You know, because I can't guarantee it's not going to do it because you got to put pressure on it. So I put pressure on it, took the string off, put it back in there, cranked it out where it's supposed to be. And and I told the kid, I says, you know, it's $20 this time. Next time it's $40 because I got a $20 stupid fee for you cranking it out too far. And, and his dad just laughed. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't crank it out any further because you're you're going to get hurt. And I told him, it's like, you're lucky it didn't blow up on you. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, I remember I went, I did not have a bow press for many years. And I used to have to take it up to the shop and all that. And finally, I got a bow press. I'm like, what was I thinking? Because it's so nice to, if it's something as simple as turning a peep or something, it's so nice to have that uh, rather than having to drive up to the pro shop and wait 
or drop your bow off or whatever, but, you know, change the draw lengths and twisting uh, peaks and little things. Uh, if anybody really gets into, and you don't have to be an expert, but just to have a bow press is really, really nice. That's something nice to have around. If you're going to be into archery, you can, you can do a lot and you'll be more confident to learn a lot and work on your bow. If you've got right. the right tools to work on it, you won't be afraid, you know, to do the things that you need to do. But yeah, I'm, a bow press was a, a great purchase for me. Well, I know um, they have the portable bow presses and I have the little, little hooks that do it for the split limbs because you, you can't use a regular one because you can't pull them quite the same way. Right. And, uh, you know, I always carry that with me if I'm going to be yeah. on a long trip. Now, if I'm hunting around locally here, I don't bother because if something has a bow, I'm just going to come home. You know, I'm yeah. not going to try and fix it in the field. Uh, but what I found is some of the newer bows, I still can't use it on them because they won't fasten because they're actually beyond parallel. So the tips, instead of being out flat, they actually curve in. Yeah. And I can't, yeah. I can't hook one of those onto it. So you need a special bow press for that. And of course, my bow press is, well, it was used when I got it in 2001. So it's probably in the 90s. <laughs> it's an old Apple press. So it works the old ones really well. And some of the new ones, I can go a little bit. But a lot of these new ones, if they're they're what they call the beyond, you know, the parallel limbs, I can't press them. I got to have one of those, like those, uh, um, I forget what the brand is now, but it's, yeah, I'm drawing a blank with blinders right now. I, I, I know it, but I just can't <laughs> remember what the name is but you know they work a little differently they push in on the sides where the other one yeah. kind of pulls down and you know it's it's a little bit different um i know in the archer talk 101 group i've got some videos i put up there on working on bows and making strings and um i, I i've been so busy i haven't been able to finish some of those and you know, i got some bows i'm working on i got three different bows i'm working on my hunting bow my target bow and my other bow um <laughs> You know, I, I got to get them ready for, for next season because I got strings on them. I got to finish them up and, you know, get them all tuned up. And, you know, that's a, some of the stuff that, you know, where it's, it's good to know how to do. And, you know, I'm teaching people how to do it. And, you know, one of the things I've seen a lot of people is that when they tie their loops on, they're tying them incorrectly. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and you're, the way to look at it, you can look at it and see as your knot's tied, one side's going to wrap around. But you need the other, the bottom one to wrap the opposite direction as the top one. So they pull different. Otherwise, it kind of pulls them, twists them. And, you know, actually the, the package with the PSE has their loops in it. It shows you how to tie them, the yeah. correct way to tie them. Yeah. And, and it's it's real easy. I, I cut my loops to be four and a half inches long. You know, I'll burn one end. And I got a big roll of loop material. It's a camo yeah. loop material. And I'll burn one end. I'll put on the end. And I have a spot marked at four and a half half inches and then I cut it there and I kind of tap the end of it and you know flare it out and burn it and then wax it you know the key to putting on a string uh, loop is to wax it before you tie it yeah yeah and you know I don't I've never had one of my loops move uh, I don't use knock points you know I did some uh setting up of a bow one time I got this one of the podcasts but I set a bow up to shoot two arrows and we found that the all, the most accurate way to shoot them is they have a knot above the top one and a knot below the bottom one. And that's yeah. also the same way on a single arrow. You don't need a knock point on it because that just adds extra length. So now you're not pulling straight behind a knock. And the, what's the most efficient way to send an arrow down range? With all the, the force, 
from the knock straight to the tip. And the only way to do that is have your loop above and below your knock point and as tight as it can go, yeah, you just yeah. snap it in. There's no slop in there. And uh, when I tie them on, if you need to take them off, you're going to cut them. You, yeah. They're next impossible to untie. And you know when you have a big roll of it, it's not worth my time to untie them. If I tie them yeah. on and it's, I have to move them, you can kind of, you know, basically screw them, you know, rotate them around and the serving will let it move up and down a little bit. Right. But that's only for moving, you know, like a 32nd of an inch, you know, because you're not going to go much. You're going to move whatever one wrap of the thickness of this the serving material is, and it's not very thick. Yeah. I do the same thing that you do. I bought a, a roll. Uh, and then once I found my perfect D loop link, uh, I wrote it down and I, I cut a bunch of them the correct length that I keep in my box. And then uh, I'm all, I'm also like you. I took it as far as tying one. I don't tie a lot of them on. I mean, I could tie one on, and then a few days later, I'm not 100% sure exactly. So I took a picture of it. And so whenever I go to tie on a new one, I'll pull that picture up just to look to make sure I wrapped it around the, the right way. But it's not hard. It's you know once you've done a few and you know you have a drawing or a picture to look at. Uh, yeah, it's. It's not hard, and I'm like you. If it's not right, I just cut it out. I don't use a knock point either. I do the same thing because I'm a little anal. I'm worried could that thing, you know, move a little bit. So I'll I'll tie right above it, right below it. But yeah, it's uh, it's not a difficult process once you've done it a few times. Yeah, and I've done it a few times. <laughs> I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> I've tied on lot lots of loops and. Um, you know, nice about the pre-made ones, I had to cut them, but, you know, they're white, minor camo that I put on. And, yeah. and it's just, you know, it's it's the material. Uh, one of the things that I did, because I had such a, a you know, long roll of it, and it's the, you know, perfect five size for your release, I put a loop on one end, and I put it around my thumb, and I made it my draw length and had a loop at the other end. So now, to practice, I would draw back, and I would shoot just that string and if my form is off the string will hang up on my thumb uh, huh. so if i'm you know like for those that can see as i'm here when i shoot if my hand goes off to the side it hangs up if my hand goes straight to the target it comes off my thumb and shoots straight to the target whichever way i'm pointing and now well, I, I can i can i can practice my form and not even shoot my bow you know, I've done that a few times out to a 3D shoot and, and something's just not feeling right. And so I'm some I don't know what's going on, but I, I'm I'm shooting, you know, crappy. I can tell. So I'll grab that string out of my 3D rig and put it on and I'll shoot. Sure enough, it's tat, it's hanging up on my thumb. Hang up, and so then I go through, go through. Okay, it comes off, shoots off my hand, hits off my hand. Okay, now my form's back. And then I go on and and you know, problem fixed. Yeah. It's amazing that something that small would make that big a difference. But you could do that while you're watching TV during commercials or something or just keep it laying up in the kitchen. And yeah, that'd be a great little training aid when you're not shooting. Yeah, and, and uh, you're all going to use your back tension release because if you just pull on the trigger, you, you're, you can see what happens. You know, so you, you go through your back tension and if it comes off and, and you explode to your target, it's going to come off your hand. Yeah, you have to yeah. get them go pick it up and, and bring it back and right 
I've got a I've got a, a, a little range in my backyard. That's another great thing about archery is that you can shoot, you know, unless you're in an apartment or in a certain situation where it's dangerous, of course. But I shoot in my backyard, you know, and I live in a neighborhood. Um, my boys come over all the time and we shoot, uh, we shoot a good bit. But then I've got in the back room in my basement, I've got a target back there where I can shoot, you know, the distance really doesn't matter. I'm shooting like eight yards or so, but just to be able to go back and I'll do a lot of shooting at night when I come down to get something out of the freezer, I can't help it. I'll grab my bow and I'll shoot a few arrows there, especially in the off season, just to, just to keep that feel. And I think that, that can make a big difference, you know, rather than some of the guys who shoot only to get ready for the season and then they don't shoot much anymore except that an animal until the next year when they're getting ready again. I found that uh, it's been a big advantage to me to continue shooting during the season. We've got uh, some targets down at our hunting club or I'll shoot here at, at the house. And I've kind of made myself start shooting more during, during the season. Just And I found where my sight's off a little bit or I'm just not shooting well, then I'll shoot enough to figure out what's going on. But that's been a big advantage, I think, is to uh, not just shoot to get ready for the season. You need to continue. If you can't shoot year-round, at least shoot during the season, during the deer season or whatever you're hunting. Shoot several times a week to kind of keep your your, your form in, in, you know, good and smooth. Yeah, and I've talked to a few people that they'll go out and every day they'll, they'll shoot like five, six arrows every day. And then I've talked to others that, that it might shoot a hundred arrows in a day. Yeah. You know, it all depends on, you know, where you're at, what you need to keep, keep going. And, you know, you know, if you're th shooting, it's like, I got to shoot a hundred arrows, you know, I'm a fit. I got, still got 50 more to shoot. I got to shoot 50 more, you know, and then I get, so by the time you get done, it's a, it's a chore, you know, yeah. don't shoot that much, you know, go shoot and um, until you figure out, you know, that's how many you need to shoot. <laughs> Actually, I, I know some guys, if you think about it, it really makes sense. They will shoot like during the season or just on any given day. They'll have a plan to shoot one arrow, which is probably all you're going to get at a deer or an elk or whatever you're hunting. So with no warm up, they'll go down, grab their bow, walk in the backyard or where they shoot, and they'll take one arrow with them. And in their mind, they're like, all right, this is my shot. The deer's finally come up where. You know, he's in range where I wanted him to. I just called the big bull in and he's standing out there at 25 yards. You know, this is it. Either live or die on this arrow. So, you know, you kind of, you put a little pressure on yourself without getting the actual situation. And you'll remember that one arrow. You'll think about it later that night. Say, Man, I, I just blew that shot. Even though you're shooting in the backyard. Because right. if you shoot 50 arrows and you don't shoot that first one well, which is what you're going to, you know, you're probably only going to get one shot. You can shoot as many more as you want to, and you're feeling good about yourself. But if you don't do well on that one era, you're probably not going to do well in that situation on the animal. So that's kind of a good way to look at it, too. Yeah, and whenever I've gone to any of the 3D tournaments, it's like, well, here's, here's, you want to warm up? No. Or targets, you want to warm up? No. I'm a hunter. My first, my first arrow has to count. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to warm up and shoot a, a perfect shot, and my next one's not perfect. I just wasted that one perfect shot. It, yeah, same same theory. That's exactly right. Yeah, good way to look at it. 
Well, and you know, when it was on the rifle team, we'd, we'd shoot a couple of shots just to make sure our sights are on. But then you got, you know, we might take one or two shots is all we're going to take, you know, because we're if, make sure when we go to the tournament, make sure our sights didn't get bumped, you know, in the process. But other than right. that, you know, we've got 10 shots, 10 count. That's right. You know, th there is no, you know, everyone counts because dropping one yeah. point can be a difference between, you know, first and second. Oh, yeah. There are no redos in competition no. like that, which there are none in hunting either. I mean, you're either going to no. make a good shot or you're not. So, yeah, it, it's one of those, it's, it's either, it's digital. It's either on or off. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, exactly. just like a light switch. Either, either the light's on and you hit it or you light's off and you missed. Yeah, and, and yeah. I was talking to uh, uh, somebody on one of the podcasts that they have a little bit different. Um, uh, it's the shootout series. And I said, you know, I would have thought I was on a uh, hunting for 3D, you know, 100 category. Right. It should be scored differently. It should be scored, you know, if you hit in the what's normally the five, it should be minus five. That's a wounded animal, not a good hit. So you got minus five, you got eight or ten. Don't make any bad shots. You I know, never thought about that. You, yeah. How much pressure yeah. would that put on you to make a good shot? Because if you hit it, you know, in a bad shot, you still got five points. So I have big, oh, okay. I, I so I dropped five points. Well, now if you make a bad shot. Not only you drop the 10 points, you lost five more, so it's 15 points. So that meant if yeah. you shoot two more tens, you, you still only got 25. So um I always thought that would be the the best way to do a hunter class. You know, a true oh, I, class. I never thought of that, but I like that idea because that's more that's more like true hunting, because you know, if if you gut shoot one, you know, that you should be penalized for that. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and, and I've done that. You know, it's it come through and I end up getting a, a gut shot. And uh, so I got down, found a spot of blood. And, you know, a couple hours later, my my hunting buddy shows up and we we walk another, you know, 20 yards or so. And a deer gets up and runs off. We, we walk straight out so we know where to start. Um, but it was going to snow that night. But we had no choice. We had to let it go. So you come back the next next night. It's like, all right, we're looking for a lump with snow on it because <laughs> yeah, it cover, it's yeah. covered. You know, we got like two three inches of snow. You know, we found it, and this is the next night, and inside was still warm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it died, but you know, this is not what we wanted to do, and you right. know, we all go through that once in a while, and you know, but we we knew what we had to do. It's like, okay, let's just walk out so we know where to start, and we if we'd have chased it would have never got it oh absolutely you did the right thing by waiting i have i've had people call me in the past because i've been hunting for so long and they ask me for advice on uh wherever they shot a deer it might be a gut shot and i'll tell them one thing's for sure on a gut shot the deer's gonna die at some point it's gonna die and if you don't push it if you give it enough time you'll often find it in its first bed which hopefully will be or usually be in my experience you know within 100 150 yards if they're not pushed they're going to bed down and you'll find them right there so yeah you don't ever want to gut shoot one and i get you know that knot in my stomach when i do but also know that if i play it right i've got a pretty good chance of finding the deer uh so yeah just give them plenty of time people push them it's probably 
the most common uh, way that people lose animals, especially gut shot. They don't give them enough time. Uh, and then, yeah, just let a bed down, back out, and a lot of times you'll find them right there. Yeah, I think that where we kicked it up was about 30 yards away, and then we let it go another 30 yards away is where we found it. So yeah. it didn't go very far. It's just we had right. to give it a day, you know, to to die. And, you know, it's it, it's it's one of those things that, you know, if you've been hunting very long, uh, you, pretty much you've, you've got a bad shot on one. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah, that's just the reality of bow hunting. You're gonna have bad shots, and you can. I don't know how many blood trails I've been on. Honestly, I, if I find the animal, especially, I enjoy blood trails. It's kind of like a like a mystery to me. Uh, my boys and I, I think, are really, really good at trailing deer because we've done it a lot, and uh, we know what we're doing. And I feel like we're gonna find most deer, unless it's a you know, a flesh wound or something. And a lot of you shoot a deer through the brisket. And I mean, there's probably going to be a lot of blood. People think, wow, this deer's going to die up here. And uh, they end up, you know, you don't find them because it's not a, it's a non-lethal hit. But uh, I kind of in, in, enjoy trailing deer because then you have the excitement of when you find them. It's crazy, but I would, if I knew that I was going to put a really great shot on a deer and I'm hunting out of a, a tree stand, I would rather it run just out of sight because I love that feeling. I love that adrenaline rush. I love the excitement. Just sitting up in the stand, I'll sit there for as long as I can, just kind of soak it all in and then, you know, go and find the deer. It, I mean, it's great if they fall within sight. And that's happened too, but I don't know. There's just something rewarding and exciting about, uh, you know, finding a deer from a shot and then it runs out and it's, a little bit out of sight and you still find it. I don't know. I just kind of, I enjoy that. Yeah. I know that the first deer I ever shot and it, it was, you know, it's a fairly long shot. I was like 40 yards away and I was 20 feet up in the tree to get over the brush. And when it turned to run into the big grass field, I seen the arrow sticking out. It was a 2117 full length and I, it was sticking out almost the whole distance. And, and we'd see where it run. We, we kind of knew where it was at, you know, we could have walked around it, but no, I wanted to blood trail it. I wanted to yeah. follow it through yeah. all the way yeah. through. Yep. <clears throat> you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to just go go find it. And while I was out there, my, my hunting partner, he went up and he found it already. It was like, I'm still going to trail it to it. You yeah. know, I want to trail it we to did it. The same thing. Yeah. You know, uh, that way I can see, okay, here's what's going through. And then there's so many things you're looking at. And there's times when, you know that you you got just a little bitty spot, one drop of blood that you're finding, and then you go a little bit further, and one more drop, and then one more drop, and yeah, then, yeah, and you finally get there, and then you're seeing all the the red leaves, like, oh no, that's not blood, that's just red leaves or something, yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> or one of the little seeds, and uh, yeah, I know there's there there's been times when um, yeah, the the blood trail is weird. I, I had one deer I shot, I heard it run off, run down the top the hill and and crash you know probably only about 20 25 maybe 30 yards away so i get down and no blood it's like i'm not finding any blood finding blood so i'm about 10 you know about 10 feet or so all of a sudden i find the blood trail it is a massive blood trail a five-year could have followed it and this is early season even in, even a month later you could still see the stain yeah, from the blood yeah. on, on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard it crash. So I kind of knew where it was at. 
but you know, there I want to follow the blood. And, exactly. Well, you always learn something, and you know, blood trails are the the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. When you lose a little bit, and all of a sudden you see a little speck of blood, and then you're all you know excited again. But yeah, I'm, I I do the same thing. I never cut and go straight to a deer that I know is down. I like to follow the blood because there's always something to be learned. Right. And, and it's just, it's just so, you know, like you said, there's just so much you can learn from them. Uh, I had one time it was in the snow. I shot this doe and I'm following the footprints and the blood trail is about, you know, two, three feet to the one side. And like the blood trail is not even where it was running. Mm. It was like, it, it didn't, it, it went maybe 10, 15 yards. <laughs> You know, you, you get them good shots, you get them massive blood trails. And then I've also had some, we was following one. And it was at night, of course, you can't really see. And we're following a blood trail. And then we're looking, and we lost it. We couldn't find any more at all. And and we're, you know, we have the, put the little flags out, you know, the little orange tape where we found the last one. Right. And we're just searching, we're searching. We're, we've got another 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards. Uh, and nothing we can't find anything and we don't hear anything we don't hear don't smell anything don't hear anything can't see anything so it's must not you know must not have been a fatal shot so we went well uh, a week later it's like what is stinking so mm -hmm. daylight it was probably another 20 yards from where we stopped looking yeah. heard that story so many times <laughs> so many times yeah but uh, I found a number of deer too like that. If you'll, you can either, uh, you know, wait a day and look for the buzzards, or if you'll go and play the wind in an area you think the deer might have fallen, but you couldn't find it and just get downwind. I mean, sooner or later, a a dead deer is going to stink. So, yeah, the guy that I hunt with is famous for that for 500 deer a few days later you know you give it your all and you look and look for whatever reason uh we usually call a dog if we shot a deer down here in georgia and we can't find it there's a lot of trailing dogs some guys you can call and they'll bring their dogs out but sometimes the dogs can't even find them i mean it's happened and then we found them a day or two later by just getting in the area of the clear cut getting downwind and you know you'll smell them if they're out there yeah yeah, it's it's stories you don't like to have to tell, but you know we all have them, and yeah. you know that's the thing. You know our listeners, you know you're going to have that. Yeah, there's going to be time when you do that. Yeah, it's upsetting. It's 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 you know it really sucks when that happens, but you know you can't get upset as long as you went out and looked for it. You know, right. if you go, it's like oh, I don't see any blood, and you give up, and you only went twenty or thirty yards. Yeah, no, that that's yeah. something that you should be ashamed of but if yeah, you absolutely look, yeah you know if you look you look for hours and and there was one i shot 70 pounds 10 yards away and still couldn't kill it because i hit that shoulder that part of that oh, shoulder yeah. it yeah. is like armor plate and you know we we did kick up a deer it's like that must have been been the doe i shot uh, but we still spent probably three more hours stomping through that Milo field to make sure it wasn't in that field. You know, knowing pretty much full well that this is the deer that I shot run off. It didn't get hurt because I yeah. found my arrow not too far into it. A little yeah. bit of blood on it. And that was about it. You know, no other blood really, you know, 
past where the arrow was. And, you know, we still spent, like I said, you know, three, four hours stopping through yeah. that Milo field, you know, looking for it because we weren't going to give up. And it's like, okay, I, I guess that must have been our deer that got up and run off. Yeah. Because they didn't run very far and it laid down, but. Yeah, well, you owe it to the deer to do that. But if you've right. done all you can do, sometimes in bow hunting, I mean, it's just going to happen. If you hunt long enough, that's going to happen to you in bow hunting. Yeah, there's been a lot of deer shot when you hit them in that scapula and that shoulder. Now, there's, there's certain parts of it you can shoot right through with, you know, if you're shooting enough weight and a good, uh, oh, yeah. strong broad rod hit. But if you hit, hit that, that ridge, that's right there. If you look at the back of, of the scapula, you know, that area that gets real wide, whether it's like reinforced back there, it's it's tough to shoot through that. You got to be shooting a really heavy air and a really tough broadhead. Uh, but most guys, you hit there, you're just not going to get enough penetration. You're not going to get in the uh, chest cavity to kill it. And you're probably going to know you hit it from the noise, too. It makes quite a whack when you hit one yeah. right in the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've gone through the other part of the shoulder many times, um, you know, 70 pounds, you know, with uh, uh, probably about a 400 grain arrow is what I was hunting with uh, and a muzzy broadhead. You know, muzzy broadhead don't care about those things. It, it doesn't deform. It just, it just blow right through them. But yeah. you hit up a little bit too high on there. And, you know, that's why I like, you know, the lady that told me the bow that's, you know, three inches too long. Uh, she also said, you know, what broadhead should you use? She said muzzies. And that's been, you know, back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's the only broadhead I've shot. <laughs> yeah. There's been a lot of game, a uh, lot of game across the world killed with muzzies. I've been on the muzzy staff. I've been shooting them for, I don't even know, 15 or 20 years. And that trocar point, uh that was a real revelation in uh bow hunting that uh, john masakia had um i actually hunted with his daughter for a while but yeah muzzies are muzzies are really good there's a lot of really good broadheads on the market today and you know how it is roy if you hit if you hit an animal in the right spot behind the shoulder and you don't hit the don't hit the shoulder you hit one where you're supposed to you can kill one with any broadhead but it's right. the it's the um, not so good shots, the shoulder shots, uh, where a good quality broadhead and a heavy era can make a difference between you finding a deer and not finding a deer. Because some of them just penetrate better than others, and some of them will, right. will go through bone and stay together better than others. But yeah, muzzies, muzzies are real good hits. Yeah, I've, I've shattered bones with them. Uh, in fact, one night when I had my archery store, I was shooting, I had a broadhead target out and I was shooting and I shouldn't have been, I was, I was tired after working all day long and I'm, I miss and I hit the concrete block wall with my muzzy broadhead. So I go up there and I look, this broadhead stuck in the concrete block. The insert is cracked in half. The other half of the arrow is on the ground, split back about an inch. Uh, and that's all it did. I still use that broadhead. No way. Block with. Yeah, it didn't hurt it a bit. And you can wow. see in that wall, wow. you can see that three-sided point with that point stuck in there. It did not hurt the muzzy broadhead at all, sticking in a concrete block. Wow, you should have taken some pictures of that instead of the <laughs> muzzy. That's impressive. 
I didn't think about it at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. I, I stuck yeah. I stuck it in there, and you know, I've I've been using them as I started off with a four blade. I think a hundred and twenty five grain. It was a four blade, one hundred and thirty grain. It was green that I shot for a long time. Yeah, this was the first ones they come out with back when I was shooting. Yeah, and then I've since switched to the uh, um, three blade one hundred. Yeah. yeah, that's what I've been shooting for a couple of decades now. <laughs> Maybe one of the most popular broadheads in the history of archery, right there. A lot of people have killed a lot of game with that head. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I do have a couple of pictures of so you know, like a thigh bone, or the the back thigh bone. Yeah, that I hit and shattered when my mm -hmm. my string when I was shooting too long a draw length, my string hit my sleeve on my jacket. And it pushed it back into that that back hip bone, and it just shattered it and went clear clean through. It didn't go very far. It still died because I hit you know artery in there. But yeah, it just yeah. it just it. I, I'm I'm not sure the picture is now, but I got a picture of it someplace where it is. You know, it's it's not just broken half, but you can see where the point hit it, and there's there's the top and bottom half and a big chunk out of it, and a whole bunch of fragments where where it just it just. It didn't care about that bone. It just blasted right through yeah. it. Wow. Well, I guess that's why they say, call them bad to the bone. Yeah. And I had another another bone I hit someplace. And you can see right there where it was, you know, the three points, the three blades went through and sliced right through it. Yeah. yeah. The, the blades even sliced through the bone. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, that's, that's shooting 70 pounds helps on that. But. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't ever want it to happen, but it's nice to have a good head that will still perform when you have a bad shot. Because I mean, bow hunting, your things are going to happen, and Murphy's Law is going to get involved, and you're going to have bad shots. That's that's just the way it is. Well, even going for a good shot, you have a chance of catching a rib. Yeah, you know, and what's that blade going to do if it hits the rib? Well, I know with the muzzies, I don't care. It's going to blast right through it. It yeah. might dull the one blade, but the other, the ones that miss it are going to be plenty sharp enough, uh, you know, because you're not going to catch enough of that blade to dull the whole thing. And if right. you get right on the rib, it's going to shatter it and go right on through. And, and you might dull one or two of the blades, but the other ones are still going to be plenty sharp. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't worry about bones. That shoulder bone, I do. <laughs> yeah. No, that's I've, one, yeah. I, I've, yeah. I've had them not go through there, but, uh, uh, other than that, you know, there's, you know, some, some like mechanicals, you know, they have their, their point points. I think if you, if you're one of those that are going to be taking your long, long shots here in Nebraska, we don't really have real long shots. You know, they're all 40 yards or less generally, you know, it's a lot of forested area, right? But those are going out for like mule deer or elk or something might have them 50, 60, hundred yard shots. You know, those that practice it that 100 yards are better, you know, and, and they're good enough. Uh, that's when I think the mechanicals have an advantage because you don't have those wings up front and wings out back. Right, um, right. Yeah, I shot, uh, I stayed away from mechanicals actually until last year. I started shooting that uh, that Muzzy Trocor, the uh, HB titanium. I went to uh, Wyoming last year on my first antelope hunt. And I knew, so I practiced a lot for the yardage. You know, I read all about the antelope and, you know, how far you may have to shoot. So I was 
you know, and I'm like you, I'm here in Georgia. We seldom have a shot over 40 yards. You know, we usually, like most of our, our shots are 15 to 25 yards just because it's thick and that's how we set up our stands or whatever. But out there I knew, I, so I was proficient. I shot a lot for one of the first times in my life. I did a lot of long range shooting. Now I was practicing out to 80 yards and it felt good. It was fun. And I ended up shooting, uh, killing my antelope at like 25 or 30 yards coming into a water hole, but I killed it. That was the first animal I'd killed within expandable and it did a great job. Even those new, those XPTIs, they've got 50,000 stainless blades, which are really thick blades. That's a, I mean, I don't know a lot yeah. about the, uh, expandables but that's a tough head i looked it over and i see no that's one i can shoot yeah there's there's uh, uh some new ones i interviewed uh um was it thunderhead yeah broadhead manufacturer and they've got a couple of really wicked broadheads out there their one fixed blade one is is it just just looks devastating and and they have you know they're mostly mechanicals but theirs is set up a little bit different and you know it's it's really uh, really kind of a, a nice nice broadhead I haven't I haven't shot one I'm just my bow's all set up for my muzzies and yeah I have to yeah. set up a different bow to shoot a different broadhead just because I don't want to you know reset this one up because broadhead's going to fly different my broadheads do not um, fly like my field tips. But I don't care because the bow, that's my hunting bow. And they're set to shoot those broadheads. And if I shoot field tips out of it, they don't hit in the same spot, but they'll still group. So I don't care. My other bow was set up to shoot the field tips. Yeah. I've had bows do that, but it was interesting. Um, just a few months ago, I was getting ready to go to Texas uh, turkey hunting. And also, I knew I'd have a chance to hunt hogs and javelina too. So I wanted to, I was trying to figure out what heads I was going to shoot. And I shoot the Rage Turkey Extreme, which Rage, it's all muzzy because, you know, muzzy is bought out by Faradine. And now Faradine has like 15 companies under it, including muzzy. So uh, Rage is part of my pro staff deal. So that I love that Turkey Extreme head. So I was going to hunt a uh, turkey hunt with those. And then I was also going to have a chance to um, hog hunt and javelina hunt. I didn't want to use those for hogs, so I was shooting the the 100 grain muzzy fixed blade, and I got out in the backyard just to do some experimenting, see if I was going to have to change anything, and I was thrilled. I had a really, I paper tuned my bows, and it was shooting perfect through paper, my new bear, but I shot field points, that uh, muzzy uh, expandable, that uh, HBTI, and the three grain or three blade muzzy hundred grain, and all three of them, uh, and and my field point, I might add. Anyway, all three of them were shooting in the same hole. I was thrilled that my broadheads were shooting, including one expandable and one with fixed blades, were shooting in the exact same hole as my field point. So I didn't have to change anything when I went to Texas, which uh, that was a good oh, thing. That, that's really good when you can do that. Absolutely, yeah. But a lot of that with the uh, field, with the broadheads not shooting like the field points, a lot of that's in tuning as well. Right. So if you play around with it, 
you can use unless it's a different weight or something. Generally, you can get them to shooting pretty close. Well, and what I do with with my muzzies, there's uh, a little washer called a U-bar. I don't know if they even make them anymore. I've got plenty of them left. And then the rubber O-ring. And what you do is you put that on and the that U-bar on. It's a cone-shaped washer. And then you put the rubber ring on and you tighten it down. And then I can tighten it or loosen it a little bit and it'll change the impact point because it's the mm -hmm. alignment between the broadhead wings and the fletching. And I use feathers, so I have a little more drag, which is okay. help help out a little bit. Uh, so that's um, that's how I have mine set up. So I set them so they all group. And uh, when I'm shooting the Comp Pro ones that I got set up for hunting, you know, those I can I can keep those in the X ring, you know, without too much trouble. Uh, PSE come out with what they call the Hunter Shaft back. I don't know if they, I don't think they do it anymore, but it was a seven thousand straightness. So I got some in just to test them out. And they end up being a 400 spine, which PSE does one, two, three, four. The four is the heaviest spine and also heavier in weight. And they come in at 400 or mismarked, so it'd been 300s. And so they're a little weight heavy. So when I had to go to new arrows, I had put weight tubes in them. But mm -hmm. you can't group them as tight because of the tolerance. You know, I couldn't keep them in the X, but I can keep them in the white. And at the range I'm shooting, that's that's good enough because, you know, like I said, my, my first shot was 40 yards. I've never had anything past 20. <laughs> you know, I, I did take a second shot at 30 yards, but I'd already had a fatal shot on it. I was standing out there kind of staggering. I shot it again. Right. right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, you know, just, just, just show you, I can, uh, for those watching, uh, let me show you what that new muzzy looks like. This is that that new Tricar HBT one, yeah. and love that, you know, that's, that that is a tough point. Uh, you know, I I guess I I hadn't paid much attention because I not buying new muzzies uh, that they have a mechanical now because they didn't have a mechanical for many many years. That's right. But you know that that looks like a pretty wicked one. Here's here's the blades come out. Now these are fixed blades here. Yes, yeah, that's that fifty thousandths stainless steel blade I was telling you about. So, so yeah, that's a that's a fixed blade, and then the other uh, expandable blades uh, come out. I think it's uh, an inch and three quarters uh, diameter. When yeah, there, uh, but yeah, that's a really tough blade. Uh, it's all stainless steel. And that's the one that I told you was shooting exactly like my field points when I was getting ready for Texas. Oh, uh, that's good. And I held off on going to, because I was a fixed blade guy forever, just real conservative. Uh, and then, so I gave those to my sons and they started killing deer with them. And I was so impressed with how they performed on, on deer uh, and just, you know, not bending blades or whatever. Uh, because they had such success is the reason it gave me the confidence to go to it. But for a deer, now we're going elk hunting this fall, and I'm not going to shoot an expandable at an elk because they're just a lot bigger, tougher animal. But I think for deer size game, that's a and some people or probably a lot of people shoot expandables for elk. I'm I just personally don't want to do it, but yeah, that's a great uh, and that's a good turkey head too because it's a pretty big uh, cut when it expands. So I like for turkey hunting, I like to shoot the biggest 
expandable that I because you're not worried about penetration. I just want to put the biggest no. hole in them I possibly can. And those uh, raged turkey extremes that that's a big expandable. I've had real good luck with those. Yeah, those if I remember right, those are pretty pretty wide, aren't they? Yeah, I'm trying to it's a maybe a two and a half inch, two and three quarter inch cut. I can't recall off the top of my head, but uh it it makes a big hole. Yeah, that let me let me show you can see what the Nice thing about the Zoom calls is you can share, share stuff yeah, and look yeah. at it. You know, unfortunately, those listening, they can't see what we're looking at. But uh, uh, that's one of the things that uh, is advantage being in the group. So these look like that's that's a nice blade there, plus the mechanicals. Yeah, that's not the Turkey Extreme, but that's a similar head. And I yeah. really like that one, too. I killed a gobbler with that head this year, and I love that. Uh, I like that. The only The Turkey Extreme has some little i don't know what they call them some little hooks on it it's like a fixed oh, yeah. blade little hook and it's designed to keep the arrow or it impedes penetration so it's trying to keep the arrow in the turkey which is which is a good thing in a lot of cases uh and that uh, rage you just pulled up does not have that little uh, uh catcher device to slow it down uh, but yeah that's a great head too See if I can pull that up so we can take a look at it and see. Yeah, you know, it's 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 finding finding all these websites, you know, in spur of the moment, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're not. It's the Ray Church Extreme. They're not. Made, I wouldn't deer hunt or anything with them because uh, they don't uh, penetrate as well. But they're designed to stay in. It. Now I've shot through. That doesn't always work. I've shot through a lot of turkeys with them, but. Um, I guess the theory in it that it will slow it down by by grabbing meat and feathers as it goes through and kind of slow it down and try to keep it in there. But yeah, it's a good head. My machine was acting slow. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, that's it there. Yeah, you can see the uh, the, the tips. It's it's wants to expand it here, but you can see the tips over here. You know that that that's going to slow it down for sure. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's made to to uh, uh, grab on the meat and feathers as it's, and slow it down, and and hopefully you get good penetration. But you know there's an advantage to keeping the arrow in the bird. It just makes it a lot harder for them to fly, and if they do run off, right. They've got to carry the air with them. And uh, but like I said, most turkeys have shot with that. I still shoot through them, but I have had uh, one this year. And I did shoot it. It was strutting away from me. And I shot it right through the tail fan. And it uh, it stayed in the bird. And, you know, it he went down right there. I had to shoot him again. But uh, the air stayed in there. So that's, uh, that's an advantage because I could just get away quicker uh they don't have the air in them and sometimes it impedes their flying so that's why they designed it that way well and then too you know if you have the arrow sticking on them they can't hide as well it, that's exactly right because i've had they absolutely will it's amazing what a 22 pound gobbler if it runs off 
it's going to find a brush pile. It's going to find something briars. It can absolutely hide well. But yeah, you're right. That with you being able to see the era and then the uh, nocturnal. I shoot nocturnals, the lighted knocks, and I shoot them even. You know, if I'm going to be hunting in the morning, I went to nocturnals and I shoot them. I practice with them. Uh, I hunt with them mornings and evenings. I used to just shoot them in, in the evenings. I grab my one with a lighted knock on it, knowing, you know, it might be right at dark. But you can see those things during the day. And we've had turkeys that we've shot during the day, of course, that have run off. And we found them by seeing the lighted knock, the nocturnal shining. So there's a big advantage. I love those things. Yeah, they're, they're pretty nice. I, I know I, I've got some of those in mine as well. And there was one, the first time I shot it, I don't know what happened, but there must've been a branch. The arrow caught it and the knock went flying out. So I got there, oh, got wow. the arrow and the knock was gone. So <laughs> one shot. And but, you know, that's what it goes. Too. Yeah. You know, when, when you look at a broadhead, you know, when, when I was getting them all the time, they're about six bucks a piece for a muzzy. Now I think they're, they're probably twice that now. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know what they're going for. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to what they were, were going for, but uh, um, yeah, I don't know how many is in that pack, but those, those ones we looked at earlier, like 50, $55. I don't know yeah, how many is in the pack or not. They're getting more and more expensive, but my theory is that I put, and most people are like this, they put so much into archery and so much money in the bows and the accessories. And it's just, you get so much joy out of it. I've really, to a point, have quit worrying about, well, you know, losing this ex expensive broadhead. That's just, that's just part of it. It's part of the game. I mean, you're fortunate you're not gun hunting where you're never going to get your bullet back. Most of the time you can get the broadhead back and, and maybe sharpen it or put new blades in it. But if I lose one or bust one, at this point in my career, I'm not real worried about it. Yeah, well, I just looked the muzzies, the three bay broadhead, are forty bucks uh, for a package, and you know that's still not too bad. Yeah, yeah. You know they they were. I remember you know like last time I seen a price like thirty two dollars for a package of six. You know which which makes them you know not too bad, but when you're looking at the arrows, because I normally use the comp pros which. You know, could easily be ten, twelve dollars a piece for an arrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you've got, you know, a good twenty to twenty-five dollars into each arrow, and if you get it back, you felt good. You know, every time you shoot, you're you're taking a risk of losing twenty-five bucks a shot. Yeah, and that's another thing to think about. The nocturnals or the lighted knocks, of course, that adds expense to it, but your chance of finding that arrow. To me, really go up if you've got a lighted knock. Right. You know how they'll bury under the leaves, or sometimes arrows can do crazy things, hit limbs, and they're nowhere near where you thought they would be. But that lighted knock is awesome. That's an awesome tool to be able to find your arrow, and especially if you're shooting a deer in low light conditions, being able to follow and know where you hit them. That's that's just a big advantage of knowing, you know, either I don't know where I hit him, or because of my lighted knock i do know where i hit him so now i, I can follow follow him right away because i know right i shot him right behind the shoulder where if you're not sure like well you might want to wait till the next morning but yeah those things are really that's a, an ingenious uh advancement in the archery world i love them yeah there there is a couple different varieties out there and, and i think the luminox seem to be the 
the best ones out there. Um, there was another brand out there. I, I didn't pay attention to them because they just seemed like they didn't work very well. But uh, what I put on my hunting arrows is I've got some of those wraps that are reflective. You oh, know, yeah. like you see yeah. on, on the, the streets and, yeah. and your your flashlights will just glow off of that part of them. And I, and I, I fletch them because I use four inch uh, feathers. I fletch and I put the wrap down. I cut them in half instead of being 12 inch wrap, a six inch wrap, and I wrap it below the fletching. So if I need to refletch my arrows, I just cut the fletching off. I don't have to cut the wrap off. Oh, that's and, a good idea. And, yeah. and otherwise, otherwise you're cutting, you have to put them back in the same spot. And then if you don't get it cleaned enough, and then it's just a real pain. So I put on half it down there and I had one, I shot, I'm looking for my arrow. I got my flashlight shining around, trying to find it. And all of a sudden my light hits it. It's underneath an evergreen tree is where it's laying. I'd have yeah. never seen it. Uh, yeah. You know, so your flashlight picked it up and Illuminat would have directed me right to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a big advantage as well. I started I started shooting wraps four or five years ago. I really love them. The uh, I shoot uh, uh, fletchings um, and in, instead of feathers, and I don't know. It seems to adhere better to the wraps too. Yeah, and I I go straight to the shaft. I don't use the the wrap. They're they're real slick, and you know that you have that slick surface. And then you have feathers, you know, I have a porous surface and you yeah, know, they seem like yeah. they don't wrap very well. And I don't use CA glue for my feathers. I use the Fletch Tight. I actually use Fletch Tight too, because uh, okay. it's a little thicker yeah. and it holds the feathers on really well. And then one of the, the tricks that I, I have learned is when you put your fletching on, take a drop of glue and put it at the front of each of the feathers and at the back yeah. of each feather. Because what'll happen is, is as you're shooting, it could be any kind of thing here, as you have that little ridge and it catches it and it's, it'll start ripping your, your fletching off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially at, at the front, I've always put a little, because if you shoot through a target or whatever, yeah, that'll keep it. Because once it starts, it's going to peel off. But you're right. That's a good tip. Yeah, I've actually had some a couple of times that the only thing hold was the front and the back because <laughs> I didn't get enough glue at the, in the middle of it. And somehow it, it come loose, probably is too hot or something. But, you know, the yeah. front and back were still there. Hey, while we're talking about little tips like that, I want to back up for a second on the um, uh, broadheads, on the muzzies, or whatever you're shooting. Uh, I've run into people before who just take them out of the pack and screw them on and hunt with them like that. I always sharpen them. Muzzy used to make a little sharpener called a ready edge, but any of those little right. uh, uh, sharpeners like that, I always run. Well, before I go hunting, I, if I think about it, I'll touch them up. It doesn't take long, but I haven't found a broadhead, a blade yet, right out of the package that will shave the hair off your, your arms, including the muzzies. But just touching it up with that little sharpener, and I always just test it. If it'll shave the hair off my arms, then that's good enough for me. But that, that makes a difference. You need to touch those things up and sharpen them, even though they're brand new and they're out of the pack. So what really makes those things dull, I was reading, is moisture. So whether it's, it's raining or just dew in the mornings or just whatever, there's moisture in the air. That's going to dull them over time, whether you shoot them or not. So it's always good to touch those things up. Well, and then too, in your quiver, you know, a lot of them have uh, yeah, foam in there. Yeah, and every time you slide them in and out of that foam, yeah. you're doling them. So you've got to, make, you know, keep up on them. And, um, you know, the three blade ones, if you're going to do them individually, it's, it's a little bit of a pain doing them, you know, because trying to hold them is, is the problem. 
that you know like those low ready sharp i've got yeah. a couple of those you know you can just drag them across there and you know get a, a, a good edge back on them but one of the things that you want to do with your broadheads is try them is, is take a rubber band and stretch it between your yeah. fingers yeah. and set that broadhead on there no don't no pressure just set it on there and then just start drawing it back and it should slice it immediately and yes. if it doesn't it's not sharp enough yeah and it doesn't take but a few seconds and that that's actually a a a safer method than so much shaving the hair off arm but i have done the rubber band and if it kind of jumps it's it's dull but you're right if it's sharp enough it's going to cut it right away and that could be the difference between slicing through a vein or an artery or having a vein or artery kind of, kind of roll a little bit and you're not cutting it which can make a big difference in the blood trail too so just sharpening those things uh, a little bit that could yeah that could make a big difference on a blood trail well and you and you take a look at the difference between if you're shaving and you cut yourself with a razor how long and how bad does that bleed and you, you're, you, you know, you cut yourself with a razor and then, you, you know, you're holding it, holding it and you're wrapping it up. Now take just a regular kitchen knife that's not razor sharp and you end up cutting yourself with that. You know, best to just put your finger over it, hold it closed for a few, you know, just a little bit. Oh, okay, it's done bleeding. You, yeah. you know, that, that's the difference between a dull one and a sharp one. That, that sharp, razor sharp one is going to keep bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. Good point. And what right. people don't realize the scalpel is not razor sharp. Because a razor sharp cut would never heal up very good. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, huh. when I was like, yeah, it makes sense because a razor sharp yeah. cut would not heal, so they couldn't get it to stop bleeding. Where, you know, it's it's sharp. It's very sharp. It's going to cut you very easy, but it's a little bit more jagged, and those jagged edges, um, you know, like I'm sure some of us got cut on paper before. Got a paper cut. Well, it yeah. don't take much for it to heal. Uh, worse yet, I actually got cut on a blade of grass one time. Yeah. And one of those hard glasses, like, yeah, rubbing finger, it's like, oh, I just cut my finger on that blade of grass. <laughs> you know, but, you know, you, you hold your finger off, you know, thumb a little bit or whatever it is, and it heals up really quick. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the whole point is it's got to be razor sharp. Right. And, uh and it's got to stay that way. And, you know, I know next time before I go out, I'm going to have to sharpen all mine again and test yeah. them to make sure they're sharp. Um, you know, it, it, that's just something you should do before you go out, before you even start the hunting season, make sure they're sharp. And then depending on how many times you've pulled them out of the, the quiver, you know, you need to, you know, touch them up and it don't hurt anything if yeah. you have one with you and just run one of those things right across it, you know, before, just before you knock your arrow so you know yeah. it's going to be sharp you know that, that keep, it don't take much i keep one of those uh ready edges in my pack and i'll do that yeah because it only takes a few seconds it yeah it's not a lengthy process and that can make a difference well and then when you get to the tree stand you know i i use like the easy hangers and stuff to hang my bow on mm -hmm. you know until i'm ready you know get it in there you're already making noise anyway. So what difference does it make if you take it easy, easy, sharp, and then you just drag it across it a few times? Sure. Um, you're making a little bit of noise, but you've already made noise climbing into your tree stand, hanging your bow up. You know, you got your safety belt. You, you're messing around with that, you know, before you get up and, and all kinds of stuff. So uh, you're already making noise. Right. And you shouldn't be going in at hunting time anyway. You should be in there before hunting time. You know, I always like to be in my tree stand an hour before hunting time. 
in the morning. Now in the afternoon, you, you can't because you know you'd you'd have to be there first thing in the morning. But you know if I'm going to be wherever I'm expecting them to come through, because once you learn your area, you kind of know what time they're going to come through, and you just kind of make sure you're there prior to that. Uh, if you don't know the area, uh, you, you might want to just spend all day there, bring a lunch with you, and yeah, just plan yeah. on spending all day there and learn what it is. And that's what's nice about trail cameras now. If you're not on public properties, you know, because they'll disappear on public property, but set your cameras out and, and learn. I've got one area that we was, we, we just got permission to hunt here last year and uh, didn't know where that was coming through. We'd seen some the year before. We'd seen a couple running through, um, but they, they're just, we ended up getting one of them, but we didn't know what time is coming through. And it was one of those fields you got your, your, um, you know, clover, and then you got your corn, and then there's just a row of trees around the whole, you know, whole property. It's, you know, right. it's like, you know, you know, part of a section here, not really big, but, um, so we put trail cameras out. Well, the only place that's coming through at any close time to shoot was at this one end that's coming through just before shooting time. Otherwise it's coming through in the middle of the night, you know, anywhere from 10 to four o'clock in the morning. You're not hunting those times, you know, and that's nice. I'm like, because I'd sit there all day. Otherwise, I'd be sitting there all day long and not see anything. Right. Because where I'd be hunting, the cameras would have picked them up. And, and that's the nice part. You can you can do some scouting, right? You know, if oh, you're yeah. if you're in public trail property, are, you might feel a little yeah. different. Yeah, trail cameras are an absolute game changer. We've got probably, we have four cell cams and another eight or so, what I call the old style cams that you have to, to check. But yeah, they're a, they're a game changer. We run them all turkey season. We run them all deer season. We start, we put them out in the summer uh, with, you know, with corn just to kind of get the, the velvet bucks and see what deer have made it through. But that's a lot of fun. We love, we love running cell camps it's kind of like christmas going down and checking the cards and seeing what you've got on there but yeah yeah that's a huge advantage to know you know what scrapes they're hitting and what time and um yeah that's trail cameras are a game changer in the in the uh, hunting world for sure yeah it's it, it's nice to know you know when you're at and where they're going to go um at least it, it saves a little time and I know, you know, after archery season, you know, when the rifle season come in, I knew I had to sit up on top of this hill because they're coming through before shooting time. You just got to hope they're walking across the hill, you know, and where they was walking, there's no place you could set up for a bow because it was just mm -hmm. an open field. And, you know, I'm not going to shoot. Well, I couldn't shoot that way very far because, you know, there was across the road, there was a house over there. So you really couldn't shoot a rifle across there. But shooting down, you're you're good. Uh, and bows, it was just, you know, where we're seeing the tracks, they, there just wasn't that much there. And so now we, you know, we're gonna find another place to go. And you know, it's it's still a good place, but you know, we have taken a couple out of there, but you know, it's just it's one of those things that, you know, they're coming through and you know, maybe next year they'll they'll come through a little bit different depending on what crops are up. Yeah, well, you can definitely, you can save yourself a lot of time because you can find areas that are not worth hunting and then spend your time in, you know, an area at least where they're coming through during during shooting hours. But yeah, you're right. If they're coming through at 10 o'clock at night, there's, it's nice to know, especially if it's a good deer, but 
sometimes there's nothing you can do about it you know yeah they're they're going through at night and you know there there could be possibly something you know put some feet out you know during during spring and you know get them used to coming to that area you know more during the day you know it just all kinds of things you can try and some might work some might not yeah yeah that's what us hunters do you know we're never uh uh short of trying something new something method or whatever but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't yeah but you know we've been talking for a couple hours here now <laughs> time goes by quick doesn't it <laughs> it does well when you're talking about something you love it you know right time doesn't drag so yeah, is sometimes you know if I have something coming up, we have to keep it within an uh, under an hour. But I've had some go two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, generally, it goes by an hour, an hour and a half on most of them. You know, we just get talking and yeah, you know, forget yeah. about time. And I like that. I was like, oh man, we've been talking for a couple hours. Wow, wow. It, it's it's so much fun. You know, there's just so much we can do and and talk about, and it's just a lot of fun. And I know anybody that makes it this far is. That have been really interested in, you know, because yeah. I like think about, you know, that's watching this far or listening this far, you know, thanks for listening and watching. It's it's been a lot of fun doing this. And, you know, I enjoy it. And, you know, hey, if you're an archer that has a, a unique story or an interesting story, even whether you're just thinking about starting, get a hold of me. Hey, you know, I'd love to talk to you. So anyway, John, what do you have for parting thoughts for our audience? Uh, one thing I would like to bring up, Roy, is that every year, like I said, I've been bow hunting for over 50 years, and it's been so good to me. I've been so blessed by by bow hunting that I started, I guess this will be my sixth or seventh year, and I wanted to put the word out. I do a bow giveaway uh, about this time of year. I'm getting ready to put it out on social media because um, I've been blessed to, to have, like I said, I'm on the the bear staff. So I get a new bow every year. I make sure my sons are set up. And then, you know, I could sell them. I could have them hanging around. But I was thinking if I could get a a new archer or especially a younger, not just a kid, but a younger archer who maybe can't afford a bow or whatever, that to see new kids and, and people just getting into archery, the sport that I love, that makes me very happy. So I say, you know what, I'm going to start doing a bow giveaway and it's kind of uh, blown up and I've got a couple buddies who go in with me and they make sure last year we gave away three bows because I had other people contact me and said hey I won't want to get in on this I don't know what I'm going to end up with this year but I usually give away a fully loaded bear bow arrows broadheads release and then I'll have people pitch in you know targets and boots and hunting it's it's amazing the goodness of people in the hunting world so i don't know what this year is going to um entail but if you know uh someone who wants to get into bow hunting or has an old bow and they need to do one especially you know i love it when i find a teenager or a young kid who wants to get into archery wants to start hunting but maybe can't afford one uh reach out to me at uh, chiefstanley9 at gmail.com or you can find me on instagram uh, at chiefstanley send me a message and i'll be putting it out it'll be on facebook instagram uh, there's another place called the bow site now that i've hooked up with you roy i'll put it on your site but i'll i'll put pictures and everything that 
I have and put it out there. And what I ask people to do is kind of send me their story. You know, I've got this kid who lives down the street. Uh, you know, he comes to watch me shoot. This is what happened last year. Comes to watch me shoot my bow every day and says he wants to be a bow hunter one day like me, but he can't afford one. His mom and dad don't hunt or whatever. So he was one of my candidates. So we had a couple more. I mean, I've had him up in Alaska. I've had him everywhere. And I'll send them. So I'll take all my um, uh, stories that I have come in and I'll read them all and I'll choose the winners depending on how many bow setups I have. And then I'll ship them the bow. It's not going to cost them a dime. On I'll, I'll ship it if it's what's happened several times. If it's near somewhere, if, if it's near me, they can come over to my house. And I'll set it up for them. We can shoot here, but that hasn't happened yet. But I'll usually call an archery shop in the area and set up. And they're usually very kind. They're like, yeah, with what you're doing, man, just have them bring the bow in. I'll tune it for them. I'll set it to their draw link. They can shoot here. I'll give them free lessons or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen, but reach out to me. If you know somebody kind of uh, meets those parameters, make me, you know, very happy uh, to do this every year. So I'm getting ready to give away at least one complete bow setup. And I mean, these are, these are nice bows. These, these aren't like toys for kids. You know, they're going to have to at least be able to draw 55 pounds, which is probably about as low as I can get these bows. And, uh, you know, hopefully yeah. they'll have a mentor or somebody to go hunt with but, Reach out to me, uh, send me your story, and I'll be putting that out on social media soon. And uh, so that would make me uh, very happy because I love what I do, and I love bow hunting and archery, and I like to get others involved. Yeah, that sounds good, and and uh, uh, you know I I like to help out that as as well. So each bow that you give out, um, hook up with them, I'll give them some uh, archery instruction. Awesome. Right. I do it on online. And, you know, on a Zoom call like we're doing here, oh, wow. uh, just just wow. let me know yeah. who wins them and then okay. we'll hook up and we'll schedule time and, and I'll give them an hour of instruction. You know, it may be on one time, it may be, you might have to split it up. Uh, sure. Once the bow gets set up, um, we'll just have, we'll just go through and, and I'll send them some videos on, you know, how to, how to shoot. And then we'll get on a, a call and, and help them get started. That's ideal because I get, like I said, people, you know, want to offer a target and they'll send other stuff that the instruction thing, because I don't know, sometimes whoever gets this may not have uh, access to that. So the fact that they could do it from anywhere with you, because I had one kid, uh, well, young man, he was in his 20s that lived up really in the wilds of Alaska. He didn't even have a, a town to go to. to but anyway, we kind of made it happen. But if he could do that online, some instruction, yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you, Roy. Yeah, well, my first student was in Italy. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Bow you hunting know, I, has, yeah, has no borders. Yeah, it, well, my first online student was that. And yeah, we just yeah. did it. He recorded videos, and I critiqued them, giving pointers, and then went through that. Uh, my first one on a Zoom call was in Canada. Wow, there you go. So, you go. And, 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 you know, he's actually in the Archery Talk 101 group, and you know, he started out, you know, pretty good size pattern. And, you know, not too long after he sent me a picture, three arrows touch it. So, there you, go. Um, you know, yeah, let's, you know, let's get them started. You know, if you have your bow, but you don't know how to shoot. Yeah. Are, are you going to enjoy it as much? Right. You know, exactly. so, you know, if you give away one bow, then we'll do it for one. If you give away three, we'll do it for three. 
you know, however many bows you give away. Okay. And uh, we'll set up and we'll, I'll get them some videos that they can uh, uh, watch uh, and, and then go through that. And after that, then we'll set up and, uh, um, you know, we'll get on a live call and I can critique them there and look at their videos. And Wow, that's outstanding. That's outstanding. I appreciate that, Roy. Yeah. It's going to be a good year. Yeah, it's going to be a good year. And then when we do that, we'll just find new archers and, you know, keep going. And, and, you know, it's, it's the thing is, you don't want to, you know, the more we get in archery, the bigger it's going to grow, the less chance mm -hmm. we have of, uh, of the politicians trying to take it away from us. Right. Well, you know what? We need the younger stewards. We need new stewards of archery and bow hunting in our sport. Because I know at least in some states every year, the number of hunting licenses sold are going down. I've been involved in a bunch of youth groups and trying to get kids in the outdoors. I've kind of studied stats or this was a while ago. So we need to, because kids nowadays have so many uh, extracurricular activities with the internet. They have so much to do that they're not hunting and fishing like they used to back when you and I were young. So, yeah. you know, we need, it's more of a challenge to get them out there. So we need to do everything we can, you know, to get them in the field because they're the ones who's, going to be carrying the sport you know when we're gone we need somebody out, out there to you know fight for us uh for land conservation or whatever the issue of the day may be so we need the younger kids getting involved so that's that's one reason i do this and uh yeah that'll be great thank you yeah well you know that's what my channel is about it's helping archers out you know getting started or even more experienced ones and you know there every time we talk to somebody there's there's something more we can do to help them out and just improve everything and it, that's just you know that's that's the fun part of this well there had to be a reason you and i hooked up so maybe that's yeah it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it that's it well all right Roy, well i appreciate it i enjoyed it and uh thanks for hooking up with me yeah it's it's been a lot of fun i enjoyed it and uh we'll, we'll definitely be talking here pretty soon sometime here real, real soon because I need to know who you're giving the bows away to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll find out soon, but I appreciate it. So anybody reach out to me that uh, uh, want to get in the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the list for that possibility and send me a story and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and I'll put in the description for the podcast, I'll leave your links in there. I'll put your links in there as well as when I post it on the YouTube channel. I'll have okay. the links in there. Perfect. And then uh, in the group, we'll do something a little bit different in there. Um, you know, we'll post something a little bit different because we don't want to get too many links in there, but this is something yeah, that yeah. I think it'd be good, good for the group to be in there. So we'll work out something yeah. for the group to get it going and let them know about it. And it's, it's been a lot of fun and I'm sure we'll be talking later. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Have a blessed day, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Uh, my name is Roy Canterbury and I, I've been your host today on Arch Talk 101.